0: It is a joy to be here. Uh, Thank you for taking the time to to come to this conference. How many of you serve in music in your church? Okay, great. And how many of you don't? Okay, great. So it doesn't matter. Uh, This is for everybody. Um, I I, I am a musician. And uh, I, I love the theme of deepening our understanding of what music does when we're together. Just so you have a little background on my history, I've been interested in music since, since I was eight years old. That was a long time ago, 57, 57 years ago. I sang in and accompanied choirs in high school and college. I majored in piano performance, traveled with a Christian band, Glad, for eight years. I've been a worship pastor since 85. I've written and arranged music for over 40 years. I really love all kinds of music, classical, jazz, rock, folk, some rap country, indie, choral, orchestral. Um, I have over 100 days of music on my iTunes. So I really, really, really like music. And music, there's a lot of reasons for that. I imagine you do too. Music is a gift from God that lifts our spirits. It comforts us. It joins us in a common mission at times, can serve as a place of refuge during difficult times. It encourages our hearts. It expresses what's in our hearts. It touches us deeply. And I could go on about all the ways that God uses music to encourage his people. When we bring music into the church, it takes on an even greater significance because then harmony and rhythm and melody combine to magnify the triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit in ways that that He is exalted in our minds and our hearts and our wills. Music is used to teach and to admonish each other. It's used to stir up affections for Christ, to give expression to emotions as diverse as confession and adoration, lament and joy, awe and celebration. And we experience the reality of our oneness in Christ. These are all things that God uses music to do when we gather. And you've probably been aware of this, but in recent decades, a massive industry has been created around worship music, which is another sign that the music we use for the worship of God is pretty significant to believers. But, you probably expected a but to come, uh, The fact that music is a wonderful gift doesn't mean it can't be a temptation. And we would not be the first generation to experience the temptations of music. In fact, uh, Augustine, in his confessions, talked about how he struggled with music. And he said this at one point. He says, I waver between the danger that it lies in gratifying the senses through music, and the benefits which, as I know from experience, can accrue from singing. Without committing myself to an irrevocable opinion, which is always a good way to start out an opinion, (laughs) I am inclined to approve of the custom of singing in church. (laughs) It's very magnanimous of them. (laughs) In order that by indulging the ears, weaker spirits may be inspired with feelings of emotion yet and this is this is what i want why i chose this quote yet when i find the singing itself more moving than the truth which it conveys i confess that this is a grievous sin and at those times i would prefer not to hear the singer That's a lot of soul searching going on there. And I doubt that any of us would see being moved more by music than the truth it conveys conveys, as a grievous sin. But it's worth pondering, isn't it? It's worth thinking about, and it's certainly more and more common in the church, especially among music leaders, but also pastors and musicians and our people. Colossians 3.16 brings some clarity to this conversation when Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, we could spend a long time on that verse, but what I want to highlight right here is this. What is it that's meant to dwell on us richly? Yeah, the Word of Christ. Not musical experiences, not technological creativity, not size and volume, not skill and excellence. Now, those things might be present, but they aren't to dwell in us richly. It's the word of Christ, which is the gospel. It's the good news that, that the son of God, the second person of the trinity, according to the foreordained of the triune God, determined to take on our flesh so that he could become a, an obedient son, so that he could be, live out the, his life as an obedient son. I want to be careful. I don't state any heresy here. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so that he lived, he lived three decades of perfect obedience to his father, so that he could bear the sins of those who would never do that, and fully receive their judgment, fully receive their punishment, fully receive the wrath of God in himself, so that. Through his substitutionary sacrifice, his death, those who have faith in him might be forgiven of all their sins, justified before God, be clothed in his righteousness, be transformed into his image from glory to glory so that one day we will see him face to face when he returns as the faithful groom to come back for his bride with whom he will spend eternity forever. Revealing over and over and over again his glory and his beauty and his goodness. That's the good news. That's the word of Christ. That's what, yes, amen. That's what's supposed to dwell in us richly. And I think that there are a lot of times when we're singing when that's not dwelling dwelling in us richly. Think... There are a lot of other things. There are a lot of things other than the word of Christ that we allow to dwell on us richly as we sing. That's why you guys can come on in. There's, You can, I don't know, there's, I don't know, you can come in if you want. (laughs) That's why what what I want to speak on today is the supremacy of Christ. Music is great. Jesus is greater. Yeah, there are a lot of um, seats up here. You guys just walk boldly up, boldly up to the front, and these guys... Could, could move to one side or the other and leave. That, that's great. Thank you. Because these guys are just standing there. Supremacy of Christ. I know we all like to be comfortable, and some of you guys need two chairs. But for you, <laughs> you can have two. But for the smaller guys, just one. Just one chair. Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, first, signs that people in our church see music as greater than Jesus. Right? Second, we're going to look at signs that we might be doing the same thing. Third, we're going to talk specifically about why Jesus is greater than music. And then finally, we're going to make some applications. All right. First, signs that our people might think music is greater than Jesus. When they respond, when they tend to respond emotionally more to arrangements and instrumentation than content. When they tend to respond emotionally more to arrangements and instrumentation than content. Having an emotionally moved and engaged congregation is always encouraging for a leader, right? When you look out and people actually seem to be alive and they seem to be, you know, joining in with what you're doing. But there are different reasons that people are moved and there are different reasons that people are engaged. It could be the sound of the drums. You know, you got a new drum set. and Yes, I'm into this. It could be the sound of the organ or the choir or the orchestra. It could be the guitar or the vocal riffs. It could be the voicings that you're using on the piano. It could be a lot of reasons why people are moved. What we want them to be moved by is a sudden clarity of the greatness of God's love, the power of Christ's substitutionary death, and the sufficiency of the Spirit and God's Word in our fight against sin. That's what we want them to be moved by. But that's not always the case. And we need to be asking, are people moved by a big choir or a big God? Because there is a difference. They're not, they're not opposed to one another. In other words, you can sing about a big God with a big choir, but we're misleading them if we're letting them being moved by a big choir, whether or not they're moved by a big God. Are they impressed with a singer who can hit the high notes or a Savior who had descended to the depths to save us. You get some idea by what people, of what people value by what they respond and react to. So here's another way we can tell our people might value music over Jesus. They complain the singing is boring. Now, I don't want to assume anything here. <laughs> it's certainly possible that we're using music that all sounds the same, that is unvaried, it lacks dynamics, it's uninteresting, you've been doing the same thing for the last 20 years, and yet maybe that's, maybe that's the right label to put on it. But I recently read this comment on, on Facebook. as They were talking about uh, w- music in the church and why some people tend to use tracks behind you. He said, honestly, this problem is why a lot of people use tracks. Music with no hooks is really boring. Music with no hooks is really boring. In that case, the statement that music is boring says more about the person making it than the music. If my music doesn't have hooks, it's boring. We, we might find music boring, but it might be because we're more concerned about music than Jesus. And it's, the Bible's pretty clear that in all eternity, we're never going to find Jesus boring. No one's going to get to the new heavens and the new earth and say, like, where are the guitars? <laughs> like, you know, like I was expecting some kind of massive, you know, setup, instrument, instruments I never thought of. And we might have instruments we never thought of. But this is what we're going to be seeing. We're going to be seeing the image of the invisible God. We're going to see in the firstborn of all creations, Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. We're going to see the one by whom all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or domains or rulers or authorities. We're going to see the one by whom and through whom all things were created, who is before all things and in whom all things hold together. That That's who we're singing about. That's who we're singing to. John Piper has said... If God's pleasure in the Son becomes our pleasure, then the object of our pleasure, Jesus, will be inexhaustible in personal worth. He will never become boring or disappointing or frustrating. No greater treasure can be conceived than the very Son of God. That's what we want to dwell in our people when they sing. And if people don't value Jesus over music, they will have to have creative music before they find anything interesting or worth giving their time to when it comes to Jesus. Third reason that people might be valuing music over Jesus, they regularly ask you to sing songs that are popular but theologically shallow or vague. So they'll come up to you and say, hey, I heard this song on the radio, or hey, we, we, I heard this in a friend's church, or hey, I grew up with this hymn, you know, can't we do this? And when you look at the words, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't think so. Well, the fact that they haven't perceived what's wrong with the song might be a sign, probably is a sign, an indicator that they value music more than Jesus Number four, people can't worship the Lord in song with those who prefer a different kind of music. Now, I know there may be some of you who have two different services for two different kinds of music, traditional and contemporary. That may be helpful in the short run, but I think in the long run, it undermines the gospel. It's saying to people that we we can't, worship God in song in the same room together. Yes, Jesus has given his life to to break down the dividing wall of hostility that was between us, but we can't agree on what songs we're going to sing. just doesn't sound very persuasive in terms of the power of the gospel. Okay, so what about us as leaders? Enough about our people. What about us? And by the way, these are not like theoretical questions I'm, I'm walking through. These are things that God has dealt with me over and over about. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I love music. music I, I've cried to listen to Beethoven sonatas, or I listen to soundtracks all the time, and just I'm just unexpectedly moved, and I just love to hear new music. This is what I've seen for a number of years now. Music is great. Jesus is greater. But it doesn't come without a fight and with the Holy Spirit's help or enabling All right, signs that we might think music is greater than Jesus. We have a hard time connecting with God apart from music. We reveal something about our hearts when we make comments like, I can't worship God without a guitar in my hands. Or, I worship God best when I'm sitting at my piano. And I've I've heard people make those comments. There's nothing wrong with enjoying singing to and about the Lord with music. But to say that our connection with God... Where our worship of God is somehow music dependent is to create a new mediator. And there's only one mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5. There's only one, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And requiring music to interact with God borders on idolatry, if not is idolatry. We need something besides Jesus and the Holy Spirit to worship God. No. No? Jesus' conversation with Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 is one of the go-to texts for worship. He says, The Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, I've read that passage, I don't know how many times, but I have never found any music in it. I've looked. I've gone to the Greek. No, I haven't gone to the Greek. Uh, but I'm sure those of you who know Greek would verify there's like no hidden references to drums, choirs, piano, synths, bass, guitars. There's nothing But that is one of the primary passages in which we get our understanding of the kind of worship that God is seeking. It's also worth noting that God didn't give us a soundtrack when He gave us the Psalms. Just words. Now, there are a lot of musical references in the Psalms, but it gives us an idea of what's most important to the Lord when it comes to using poetry to to worship Him, to to interact with Him, to give Him praise. It's the lyrics. It allows for diversity of music, but what's most important is the words. Number two, we don't think non-musicians can experience God's presence like musicians can. Harold Best, in his really fine, fine book, Music Through the Eyes of Faith, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read that, said this, Christian musicians must be particularly cautious they can create the impression that God is more present when music is being made than when it is not, that worship is more possible with music than without it, and that God might possibly depend on its presence before appearing. God doesn't depend on music to reveal his presence. That's paganism. It's not music, but faith in Christ's finished work that brings us into God's presence. It's such a glorious truth. Faith is the means. The cross is the grounds. And here's how the writer of Hebrews describes how we are brought into God's presence. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, which the priest could only enter once a year. By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. No holding back. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. After centuries of saying, don't come near or you'll die now because of the once and for all finished substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, God says, come on, you are in my presence because you are in my son. So we don't have to use music to make God feel more present. No, God's already here. What music can do is soften our hearts to hear and understand the words we're singing and the truths we're being pointed to so that we become more aware of God's presence with us. And God may at times choose to make us more aware of his presence, but that's not the same thing as bringing us into his presence. Jesus did that, and we gather together to celebrate that. So we don't want to be thinking that, somehow music plays this key role in enabling us to know God's presence. Number three, time with our musicians is spent mostly in giving musical direction and minimizing or completely excluding spiritual direction. Time with our musicians is spent mostly in giving musical direction and minimizing or completely excluding spiritual direction. Now, there's a place for musical skill and artistry and excellence. That's all great, but all of that has a purpose. We're not just excellent to be excellent. We're not just skilled to be skilled. They all have a purpose, and that purpose is to magnify God's glory in Christ in our hearts and in our minds and in our wills. Are we at the point, are we so sanctified that we only need to be reminded, our musicians? Ourselves only need to be reminded of the importance of musical proficiency, and not the worthiness of Jesus. A few years ago, it was a Sunday morning. We were in in rehearsal, and we meet and we were meeting a school at the time. And the soundboard crashed, so we were just left with just sitting around. Time, and I thought. I should do something here. Uh, so what I did was I, I took the order of the service, the liturgy, and I gathered everybody together and said, "Hey, let's let's walk through this together. Let me tell you why we're doing what we're doing." Huh. So I started with the call to worship, and that came from the last week's sermon. That's where that thought came from. And then we went to this song because that comes from that scripture. And then this, this song links to that song because of that word, those lines right there. And then we read this other scripture that came out of that song. And then we led these other. And so I just walked them through the, like the content, the truth, the lyrical flow of, of what we're doing this morning. And I've done it every Sunday since. Whether or not the board crashes. Because I found it so helpful to communicate to, to musicians, one, this is why we're doing what we do. It's so that people understand these things. And two, so that they can understand, I appreciate your, your commitment to excellence and your, your, your practice beforehand and the fact that we're going over these things. I want these things to be in your hearts as you use your gifts. Because otherwise, you could be thinking that you're using your gifts for something else, which is one reason why we always, always encourage our instrumentalists to sing. Where, However far back there are, now there are exceptions, trumpet players, that's really hard. Um, <laughs> but for your typical you know, uh, band setup, there's no reason why your bass player or your drummer or your synth player or your piano player... Can't at you know as often as they can sing the words that that everybody else is singing because they're not just accompanying they are part of the congregation and using their mouths to voice those words will help them understand why in the world we're doing this in the first place. So one one more reason we write and lead songs but aren't living in the good of those songs. A sign that we might value music over Jesus. We write, we lead songs, but aren't living in the good of those songs. This is probably where this uh, talk came from, this thought. I know a well-known Christian songwriter, producer, and worship leader whose marriage is falling apart and who lives with an internal rage towards God for things not working out. A couple years ago, local worship pastor uh, in Louisville left behind his wife and kids to pursue and marry another woman. It's pretty well known in the city. I've known more than one worship leader who has sought to deaden their, their desperation and their disappointment and pain through alcohol. And we've all known or heard about worship leaders and pastors who are committing adultery, struggling against pornography, battling anxiety, or just ready to get, toss it all in. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're one of those people. You know, we sing, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. But we live throughout the week in crippling fear and anxiety about the future. We sing, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. And then during the week, we just, fall again and again in particular areas of sin. And we live in ongoing defeat and condemnation. We sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. And if somebody really knew what was going on, it wouldn't be. And what it seems like is that many of us are trying to give Jesus good PR. You know, a PR company job is to make people believe that someone or something, a product is good, whether or not they personally believe it's good. You don't have to be behind a product or even behind the person to be a part of a PR company. That's what you're supposed to do. Just just make people believe that this thing or that person is good. That is as far as can be imagined is what we're doing when we stand up in front of people and lead them in the praise of God. We are saying, We are saying that Jesus really can deliver on his promises. And I think too often we become comfortable singing about promises we don't really believe anymore. About a God who only helps other people. And we think we're doing God's work because, well, even though Jesus isn't a savior for me, I can let other people know he is. I got great news for us today It's from the Word of God. Jesus really is a Savior. He really does change lives. And a lot of times it begins in humility, recognizing that I am the sinner that Jesus came to save. Not thinking I've got to maintain this image so that people think I've got it all together. No, no, no. Jesus, it's not like someone said this to me once, I found it so helpful. It's like we, we come to Jesus because we're defeated, we're, we're unable, we're inadequate, and he saves us. And then we spend the rest of our Christian lives trying to convince people that we're self-sufficient, that we've got it all together, and that we don't need that much help. That's not why Jesus came. He no longer, no longer looks like a great savior if we've got it all together. We'll always need a great savior. You know why? It's because we're great sinners. And to stand in front of people and to proclaim the realities of a Savior who died in our place so that our sins could be forgiven and through His Spirit is changing us, changing our desires, changing our motives, changing our actions. That is so great. That is so glorious. That is such good news. So we're not giving Jesus good PR. So let's look at why Jesus is greater than music. Few reasons. In case we're in... In doubt or unsure. One, music is a gift. Jesus is the giver. My close friend, who I've known for 45 years, my senior pastor, C.J. Mahaney, has said all gifts are meant to direct our attention to and create fresh affection for Jesus. All gifts, any kind of gift you can think of meant to direct our attention to and, create fresh, and affection, create fresh affection for Jesus. A few years ago, I surprised my wife Julie with a dining room table from the Pottery Barn outlet, because that's the only place we could afford it from. Uh, totally without her knowing it, and this was so unlike me, you know, the, the outlet was like an hour away, I, I got over there before, without her knowing it, stored it in a neighbor's basement, and then Christmas morning... I set it up in, in the living room, and we were in the family room opening the presents and stuff. And um, so, at the very end of everything, just love all these. Mo- I love this moment. So I said, uh, "Oh, oh yeah. Th- oh, there's one thing. That's right. There's one more thing. Joe, so I want you to come to to the living room. I want to show you something." So she comes in, and she just her eyes got wide open. I'm sure because she would never expect I'd do something like this. But she she looked at the table and then she ran over the table and just started caressing it and hugging it and kissing it and said, Table, I love you, table, I love you. No, she didn't do that. She did that to me. Which was really great. Because the table was the gift. I was the giver. And she in that moment, with all her joy and excitement, it's a table we still use. In fact, we've she's Redone the whole top, she took it off and built another top. That's my wife does those things. Um, <laughs> she could distinguish between the gift and the giver. Music is a gift. Jesus is the giver. But how often do we respond to that way to the gift of music? We we give it a value greater than Jesus, but nothing is more valuable than him. Nothing. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3, starting in verse 8. I count everything as lost compared because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. J.I. Packer writes about this passage. When Paul says he counts the things he lost, rubbish or dung, he means not merely that he does not think of them as having any value, but also that he does not live with them constantly in his mind. What normal person spent his time nostalgically dreaming of manure? Yet this, in effect, is what many of us do. So so to apply that to, to our lives, it would be asking proportionately, how much time, if I'm a musician, how much time do I spend thinking about how music moves me versus how much time I spend thinking about how Jesus moves me? That's a good question. Music's a wonderful gift. It's a terrible God. And better than the the gift is knowing and loving the giver. Another um, reason music... Jesus is greater than music. Music can provide temporary comfort. Jesus provides comfort forever. It's not uncommon to turn to our favorite playlist, artist, or song to encourage our hearts in a time of difficulty, sorrow, or loss. Personal confession, I listen to this group called the Paper Kites over and over and over. They're a group from Australia. Um, they I can never understand what they're saying. Um, Laughter. It's just this kind of, it's just kind of this bandwidth of music that I can put it on. And it just, it just, it's enjoyable. I really, really enjoy it. But music is not Jesus. Only Jesus can give us lasting, profound, life-transforming comfort. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 16 and 17, Paul says, he prays for the Thessalonians. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Jesus Christ himself is doing the comforting here. And by what means? Not through music, but through grace. His work, His finished work. So if singing or listening to music, really of any kind, doesn't lead our hearts to a greater affection for Jesus, there's a good possibility that we might be valuing music over Jesus. But that's why He's better. Music provides temporary comfort. Jesus gives eternal comfort. Number three, music can point to truth. Jesus is the truth. Eternal life is not a system of theology, even when it's set to music. Our ultimate joy doesn't stem from simply knowing the right things about Jesus, but actually knowing him. There is a difference. Now, we need to know the actual facts about Jesus to know him. So we're not pitting those against each other. But there is a difference. Our goal isn't only to sing songs that are orthodox in doctrine and all true, but to actually have a relationship with the one we claim to know so accurately. There is a difference, brothers. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means we don't come to the Father based on our knowledge of certain truths, no matter how beautifully we sing them. We must have an active, genuine, sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. That's where our faith lies. He is a living Savior. He is not confined to a book. We know him through this book. But we must know him and not simply read about him. There is a form of godliness that denies its power. We must know him. Singing true words is no guarantee that we've come to know the one who is truth. There are many unbelievers in churches who are singing all the right words, but don't know the Savior they're singing about. We don't want to be likened to that. We might be a Christian, but we might not know him the way Jesus intends us to know him another another reason that Jesus is greater than music music can give a feeling of unity Jesus actually unites us you know there's a natural affinity that takes place when you find someone who likes a group or a music or a musician that you do almost feels like you know finding a lost cousin or something oh wow well, you like that kind of music too Something similar can happen when people sing together. Science is, uh, scientists have shown that there's an enzyme produced when, when people sing together that makes us feel unified. But that unity can quickly dissolve, and it, it's not experienced by those who don't like the same kinds of music. In contrast, what music does, Jesus actually makes us one no matter what kind of music we like. It's remarkable. Our singing is meant to be an expression of the unity that Jesus has made possible. It doesn't create the unity, which is why, on a side note, finding songs which multiple generations can sing is so important. Giving ear to both a younger generation and an older generation and those in between, saying to all of them, this is not for your preference, but we are going to look for songs that everybody can sing together. Ephesians 2 verses 14 and 15 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Singing together with other believers is massively different from the feeling that someone might get singing with a bunch of U2 fans at a U2 concert. Although sometimes I've read articles that can't distinguish that difference. And we even say what happens at a U2 concert is better than what happens in the church. If we don't know the difference, we're probably valuing music over Jesus. Finally, music isn't a savior, Jesus is. Music can't pay for our sins. Jesus can. Music can't raise us from the dead. Jesus can. Music can't defeat Satan. Jesus can. Music can't bring us into God's presence. Jesus can. Music can't reconcile us to God. Jesus can. Music can't transform our hearts. Jesus can. Because there's a difference between being emotionally affected and morally changed or spiritually changed. And music can't ensure that we will enjoy eternal pleasures at God's right hand forever. Jesus can and did. He's so much greater. And we're only tempted to see music as greater than Jesus is because we don't know how great Jesus really is. So that's where I want to end. Four ways, well, a number of ways to grow our view of Jesus. I begin by just confessing areas or ways that you've seen music as greater than Jesus. You know, if any of the points I've mentioned, you've gone... (coughs) Holy Spirit said, yeah, that's you. Yeah, you, you've done that at times. Just confess that. Just acknowledge it to the Lord. Maybe to your spouse or your friends. Just say, you know what I've been doing? I haven't realized it. I've been doing this. Music's taken the place of kind of a Savior for me. Or my, you know, the Holy Spirit's not my comforter. The music is. Just, just share that. Confess that. When you're tempted to go to music for comfort or encouragement, try reading your Bible. Read God's Word, searching for a better view of the majesty and beauty and glory of Jesus. Go to the Gospels. Always be reading books that expound the glories of Christ, especially in the Gospel. I'm going to make a few recommendations. If you haven't read The Cross of Christ by John Stott, read that. The Valley of Vision I found extremely helpful, collection of Puritan prayers just for ways of refreshing my view of my own sin and the glory of Jesus. God the Son Incarnate by Steve Wellam. In my place condemned he stood. I think that's by Devin Packer. And The Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. How many of you guys have that? Okay, yeah, everybody should have that. It's it's just a short little book. Um Uh, which I found, recommended many, many times, 31 meditations, brief meditations on the gospel. Uh, Another way to grow your view of Jesus, take time to reflect on the Savior's personal, passionate love for you. Now, in our me-centered, narcissistic, everything's about me culture, that could be abused, that could be misused. But it should affect us when Paul says in Galatians 2, he talks about the Savior who loved me and gave himself for me. Two other times he said who loved us and gave himself for us. But in Galatians 2, he talks about who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a love that nothing in heaven, on earth, past or future, height or depth can ever separate us from. That's security. That's security. Do you ever think about it? Someone, someone uh, I heard recently, someone asked potential candidates for a music ministry position. When's the last time you were brought to tears over the gospel? I think that's a really good question. And if we sing songs week after week after week, and we're not being moved by what we're singing about, brothers, there's a good possibility that we're looking to music to do something that only Jesus is meant to do. Meditate on what it will be like to finally see the face of Jesus. We're in a series on Exodus back home right now, and CJ was talking about how the... The elders were allowed to see the feet of God on Mount Sinai. And then Moses was later allowed to see the back of God. One day, because of what Jesus has done, we will see his face. And we won't be consumed. We're we're going to look into the eyes of the God-man who walked this earth and who this this never ceases to amaze me. Resisted temptation for thirty plus years, every moment, every temptation, so that he could bear the punishment for all the temptations that we gave into. And we're gonna look into his faith and know. You know, grace is gonna make sense then. We're gonna get it. Because we're all gonna be saying, I didn't deserve this, I didn't earn this, I never even asked for. And yet I'm here looking at you. It's very helpful for cultivating an affection for the Savior. And then teach your people through Scripture primarily, through your comments, through sermons, through the lyrics of songs, that Jesus is greater than the music we used to praise Him with. Let me end with this. This is a quote from Robert Murray McShane. He says, learn much of the Lord Jesus for every look at yourself. Take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye, set it on you in love, and repose in his mighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart. And so there will be no room for folly, or the world, or Satan, or the flesh, or maybe music, in the wrong ways. And as the Holy Spirit enables us over time to replace idolatrous and sinful and misguided affections with affection for Christ... We'll be preparing ourselves for that eternal activity of loving and worshiping and being satisfied in the Savior. We cannot fill ourselves too full with the glory of Christ. And I want to encourage us not to allow music to slip in there as a substitute or a filler for what the glory of Christ is meant to overwhelm us with. as David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And let music take its rightful place as a good gift from God, designed to point our attention to the Savior and increase our affection for him, for our good, and for his eternal glory. Amen. Father, we pray that you would do what we've been talking about. We thank you for this time. We, we ask that you would enable us to see where we have in various ways allowed music to take the place that only Jesus holds, whether that be as a comforter or a mediator or a savior. Jesus, we want you to receive all the glory that you alone are due. We thank you for the gift of music, which you want to use through the working of your spirit to draw our hearts and our affections and our minds and our wills to you so that we might know you better, so that we might love you more deeply, so that we might obey you more consistently so that you might be glorified through all our songs, but not just our songs, but our lives, our words, our actions, our thoughts. And Father, we thank you. You have been so gracious to us to give us a song to sing through the finished work of our Savior, Jesus. We look forward to that day when the song will never end. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.